Good evening, my Dharma friends. It's been a big day. Today I'm going to pick up from my last talk. If you remember the last topic that I addressed was the Buddhist path and how uh, suffering is a major part of the teaching, but there's this whole other aspect or this whole other dimension of the teaching which has to do with happiness. Happiness in this life. (laughs) And I talked a lot about the wholesome qualities of mind, the paramitas, the um, brahma-viharas, the seven factors of awakening, and all of these things that can be part of our experience here on retreat. And I'm going to talk tonight about one of the Brahma-viharas, one of the divine abidings called Mudita, which is also called empathetic joy or appreciative joy, sympathetic joy. And this is the third of the Brahma-viharas. So we've talked about metta quite a bit, and we've done a good amount of directed metta practice here with uh, two guided periods a week. And we've talked a bit about compassion in the talks, how that is basically this quality of metta or goodwill turn towards a recognition or towards an acknowledgement of suffering. So when goodwill sees suffering, there arises a spontaneous wish for that suffering to be eased. And that's basically what we understand to be compassion. And the third of the Brahma-vihara is this mudita or empathetic joy or sympathetic joy is a really interesting aspect of metta because this is the mind of goodwill which has wished for happiness in the direct practice of metta and in mudita it actually recognizes that happiness is already there and in a certain kind of way it cheers it on, it endorses it, ratifies it. So let me give you a classic Mudita story. So this is from my own experience. I had uh, the experience once of being at my mother's house. I was at my mother's house and she had had... uh, has one great-granddaughter. This is the first great-grandchild. So I was at my mother's house and I was sitting at the kitchen table and my sister was on her computer and she was watching and showing my mother this video of the great-granddaughter. And the great-granddaughter was in one of those um, little round seats with wheels on the bottom of it. And it has a little tray, a little place where you can put your sippy cup and that kind of thing. So she's in this. She's in her own kitchen. 
And this particular um, vehicle that she's sitting in <laughs> has got this set of lights on the dashboard. And when you hit one of these lights on the dashboard, out comes a song. And so she's sitting there and she whams one of these lights and on comes Baby, You Can Drive My Car by the Beatles. <laughs> You know, baby, you can drive my car, bum, 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 bum. And she's sitting there, and she's like bopping it out, bopping it out, rocking it out, rocking it out, shaking her, shaking her head. So I, I'm watching the video. But even more in, fun for me was like to watch my sister and watch my mother because they're having the same reaction and watching this unfold and I'm, I'm kind of getting like a triple benefit from it, right? Because I'm watching Jenny, the child, having all this happiness. And I'm watching my mother and my sister having all this happiness because they're watching Jenny. So it was like a classic mudita moment where the mind recognizes the, the happiness or well-being of another being and it responds with this uh, endorsement of that, this, yeah, go for it, kiddo, rock it, you know, just enjoy it, enjoy it. And the happiness arises uh, within your own mind in that. So when I said earlier, mudita is when metta has worked, <laughs> you know, when there's actually happiness, health, well-being, safety, and those, those kinds of things present and you recognize that in someone else's experience and your heart responds with yes, yes. So, you know, even though Buddhism talks so much about suffering, we acknowledge, fully acknowledge that there are a lot of good things in the world too. Yes, Everything is dukkha if you consider it from the perspective of the, f the fact that it's not ultimately satisfying because it's impermanent. There's a built-in instability of things. And yet there is joy. There is happiness. There is relative well-being. There is beauty. There is pleasure. And this is all good. There's worldly success and there's good fortune and even though it doesn't last forever when it's there, it's good and we can approve of it and enjoy it. So people can have good things happen to them <laughs> and we can share in their happiness by allowing that to register in our own minds in a way that's approving. And this practice of mudita is turning towards their happiness or well-being with the wish that it continue for them. So I said earlier, some of these uh, words that are used to define metta, uh, mudita include empathetic joy or sympathetic happiness, appreciative joy, altruistic joy, finding happiness in the joy and the success and well-being of other people. 
So in order to practice this particular quality of mind, we actually have to let other people's happiness and well-being and success and good fortune and those things register. We actually have to practice mindfulness externally in order to recognize uh, those experiences that other people are having. And then, in a sense, once we've registered it, we have to, have to or get to, endorse it, ratify it, cheer it on. And that means we need to approve of it, approve of them having this happy experience. So some of the classic phrases that are used with mudita are, uh, may your happiness continue. May your happiness continue. May your good fortune remain and, and strengthen or grow. Those are the kinds of phrases that reflect this practice of this beautiful quality. There's a classic saying by the, the Dalai Lama where he, he, he was asked to reflect on how he viewed the world and he said something like, well, Six billion people, six billion chances for happiness. So in one sense, of course, he, what he was saying there was there are six billion or maybe seven billion now, but six billion people and they all have the potential to become happy or to move towards happiness. But he was also suggesting in that phrase that we have the potential to enjoy the happiness of everyone else, participate it in, in it in a certain kind of way by developing a mind that can uh, extend this mudita universally and in the process take uh, joy from the happiness that we see. And of course, this also is a state, and as a state, as a conditioned state, it's, it's limited, and uh, it's impermanent. And yet it is joy, it is happiness, it is wholesome, it is skillful. And this is very much part of the practice of the path. So I gave you one example from my own experience of, of mudita. The, the, the vehicle and the, the little girl in it. But here's some other examples that might help you identify this quality in your own experience. So seeing someone enjoy a meal that you prepared just for them. Right? So a classic example of this might be it's your friend's birthday and you know what particular kinds of things they really like. And so you've gone out and shopped for what you need and then you've put it together in a way that you know is going to be uh, pleasing to them. And then you have the pleasure of actually watching them enjoy the meal and watching them register the fact that you've prepared this with, with care and with love. That's a classic mudita occasion. Another example might be watching your uh, son get married to someone 
that you think is good for him, someone that you approve of. You see his joy, his happiness, his, his radiance, the happiness of his partner. And you feel mudita for them. You feel joy at their, their happiness, their good fortune in finding a good match. Or it could be, another example would be hearing a friend um, got a job that re- they really needed. Somebody who's been out of work or has really needed to find something different for one reason or another, and then you, and you know they've been stressing about it. Then you hear they got a job. If your heart goes, yes, I'm so glad, I'm so glad, yeah, that's mudita. Seeing someone respected in the community finally get recognized. I'm so happy that they were finally acknowledged for everything that they've contributed to the community. Yes. That's right, they did deserve that. They should have that. I had an experience of uh, fairly strong mudita when I watched what happened in uh, South Africa when Nelson Mandela passed away. And of course, people knew that you know, his death was going to be happening. It wasn't any surprise. But the outpouring that was shown on television and with the media coverage of the people in South Africa and, and the joy that they felt, the joy that they felt at having such a leader come up from uh, within the country uh, to become a person that accomplished the liberation of a people and was seen in that light by the world as an exemplar, a moral exemplar, I felt a lot of mudita for them, the pride and the joy that they felt. Another occasion for mudita might be finding out that somebody's health issue resolved in a positive way and their anxiety turned into relief, right? Can you imagine that moment of somebody who's worried about, you know, getting a diagnosis or something? You know they've been worried, worried, and then you, you have the opportunity to experience them finding out it's going to be okay. Mudita. Or maybe your experience is more like... Um, watching your niece score a goal in a big soccer game. Seeing her out there, knowing how hard she's been training, how much she's practiced, how many drills she's done, and then you see it. You see her be able to do it. So these are all just common examples of this experience of feeling mudita. So if you were going to do a body check-in right now, after you've heard these kinds of examples, just let, feel what that is right now. Turn your awareness right inside.
So this can be a useful thing to help you identify the state for yourself when it's present. Because like the other Brahma Viharas and like many other emotions, there often is a particular body resonance or felt sense with the state. And this mudita quality can feel happy, joyful, uplifted, expansive, connected, generous, rejoicing, feeling like there's, there's enough. So it's a kind of happiness that's there internally and externally. Externally because you have to recognize it in others. And internally um, because it rouses happiness in you as well. So when this is really strong, you can actually feel like you're drafting or kiting on someone else's happiness. Do you know what I mean by drafting and kiting? So you, you, have you ever seen the uh, example of flocks of birds flying in a particular direction? And there's something about how the lead bird or birds actually create some aerodynamic effects that makes it easier for the other birds to fly along the same pathway. You know, they actually kind of open it in a certain kind of way. And we can have this experience of kind of drafting along (laughs) on the happiness of other people uh, in the practice of mudita. So when we're doing that, then the mind isn't comparing its state to anybody else's, but it's enjoying the well-being of the other Do you ever hear this uh, expression in uh, the States? There's this uh, idiomatic expression that goes something like, uh, you go girl, you go girl. And it means somebody is noticing somebody is, is doing something that and is given their stamp of approval to it and is cheering them on, is encouraging them to keep on doing it. So you're ratifying or endorsing their happiness and good fortune. And when it's like that, it can feel like there's no separation between you and the other. You're feeling the same joy that you're seeing. Or if you're going to put it in neurological terms, maybe you'd say those, the mirror neurons are, are firing away. You're recognizing uh, the state and you're sharing it in a certain kind of way. So let's talk about some things that support this quality of mudita. As I said, it's, it's rooted in metta, which is why metta is practiced first. It requires mindfulness because you have to be able to see and recognize the state or the assets that others have. So those two parts need to be there. And there's a couple of other things that I think are really important supports to this particular quality. And one is gratitude and generosity. In other words, the practitioner having a mind that recognizes its own resources and sees that it 
also receives things from life, right? So a mind that's feeling very impoverished is going to have a, a hard time with this practice. So some of the, the things that can be supports to being able to do this particular practice include the cultivation of gratitude and generosity as a kind of preliminary practice. And another uh, skillful practice that can uh, really help in terms of being able to practice mudita more easily is knowing our own wholesome qualities and deeds. So this is a really interesting topic, knowing your own wholesome qualities and deeds. You could probably do a full Dharma talk just on this. So... When I say that to you, were I to suggest to you that you consider reflecting upon your wholesome qualities and deeds, just do a body check right now or a mind check about what comes up for you with that suggestion. Were a teacher to say, okay, I want you to you know, go spend some time reflecting on your wholesome qualities and deeds. So what, is, what does the mind do? Does it go, oh, yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> and then they all just start tumbling out one after another. You know, you can hardly contain the, the torrent that immediately comes to mind. You know, or does the mind go, oh, uh, ooh, ooh, don't make me do that. You know, maybe I could, like, squeeze out one or two if I took an hour, but... You know, they'd always have some uh, disclaimer with them, you know? (laughs) Some fine print about how they don't really count or, you know, it's not really that much, you know, it's not that great. This is a huge area of practice, this this particular kind of reflection. And you can see why... uh, having good connection with your wholesome qualities and deeds could be very empowering. They say, you can? (laughs) Okay, so the reason is, if you're connected to this, you're less likely to draw a negative contrast with others, right? So there's a more likeliness to be a sense of sufficiency or having your own supply of goodness and good fortune, your own sense that you've got reserves. Yeah, you've got stuff in the bank too. Right? So then when you see someone else's good fortune or happiness or well-being or any of that, the mind is less likely to respond with the... Uh, and we'll talk about that piece of it later because it's, it's a, huge, uh, a huge thing in doing this practice, especially sometimes for some people. Okay, so this Brahma-vihara, just like the other ones, have both a near and a far enemy. 
So the near enemy of mudita, what would that be? Did you ever see that movie called The Bachelor Party? No, you're too refined for that. Okay. You ever been at a wedding where everybody is having a good time, but you know they're get, they have such a good time, it gets so exuberant that <clears throat> people get all wound up and <clears throat> they drink too much, and then you know maybe it turns into not so much fun, and then you know the next morning somebody's sleeping in the bathtub and you don't know who they are. Okay. Exuberance, too much exuberance, where mindfulness goes out the window and sila goes out the window and it just, you know, you get too high with it. That's the near enemy. Ungrounded exhilaration with no equanimity and no mindfulness. You know, so an example of that is the the home soccer team uh, wins the cup and then people go out in the street. Yeah, they're so like, you know, they're turning over cars and, you know, setting trash bins on fire and things, right? Okay. Not mudita, near enemy. <laughs> the far enemy. Well, it's things like uh, jealousy and envy and the craving that they stem from where somebody is getting something or has something and that recognition stirs up the uh, comparing mind uh, and ill will uh, and or craving, right? You recognize somebody's got something, but the reaction of the mind isn't, oh yeah, that's so great, wonderful. It's like, why do they get to have that? Or they don't deserve that or... What's wrong with me that I don't get that? And you can see that mudita is considered to be the most difficult of the Brahma-viharas to practice, which is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Considering that it focuses on happiness, and yet it's the hardest one to practice. So if we're going to look at some of the whys of this, then we would have to to start, for instance, with our, um, the fact that we share some tendencies with other animals. So if, for instance, you've ever seen what it's like when you put out uh, a dish of food, say, for a bunch of puppies, they all beeline for the dish and they, you know, they're pushing each other <laughs> away to get their snout in there first and, you know, maybe they'll give each other a little nip. Right? So we have this too. You know, we're not, we're not so different in certain kinds of ways. You know, we, we compete for mates and for food and for opportunities and for status and things like that. So this competitive tendency, comparative tendency. You may have noticed it even here on retreat. Have you noticed this on retreat at all? No. (laughs) Pristine purity (laughs) of mind. It's a lovely, it's a lovely quality. But, (laughs) 
it shows up once in a while, right? <laughs> Not all the time. You know, we, we have these lapses from time to time. So, you know, you can have competitive feelings ev- even on retreat. So you might notice, you know, like who, who seems to be, you know, the, the quietest in the hall and the most concentrated or, you know, who seems to be walking the slowest, you know, the slowest, or maybe the person who takes like the least condiments at lunch or something like that, or <laughs> the one who brings their uh, dish to the washing station and it's, you know, devoid of any content before they even get there. It's like completely clean, no rice grains or anything, right? I mean, our minds fixate on, on these kinds of things, right? There have been known to be uh, slow walking competitions, you know, in the walking hall sometimes. Right? So, you know, just, just so you, you uh, don't feel that you're alone with this either, you know, the IMS dining room, staff dining room, is the site of some quite competitive board games. <laughs> right? So it's all in good fun, you know, but, but even the Buddhists, you know, can get, get competitive. So there's a tendency. We all have it. So I said earlier, you know, in order to practice this mudita, you have to turn your awareness towards somebody else's happiness and well-being. That's the practice. So when you do this, the comparing and contrasting mind can arise very strongly, and the kalesas, <clears throat> all joking aside, can be very painful here, right? Because some of these qualities, like envy and jealousy, and um, they're they're very painful. They're very painful. So some of the ways that these can come up are, for instance, in judgment. You know, judgment about what makes somebody else happy. So you may recognize that somebody is happy, but it might be about something that you think is, like, really not worth being happy about. Like, you know, somebody deciding that they're going (laughs) to... They're all excited because they're going to go to the Magic Kingdom at Disney World or something like that. And you're going to yourself, God, why would anybody want to go to Disney World? It's like, what a strange place to... I hope none of you like Disney World. What a strange place to go on vacation, right? So judgment about what causes them to feel happy. But if it makes them happy and there's no um, unskillful behavior there, why not? Why not just accept that people have uh, different Vedana in relationship to different experiences and let them have that happiness, right? Let go of the judgment around it. So another, another thing that can come up for us is this feeling that uh, the person involved already has more than you do. Right? They're already ahead in the great race of life. Like they already have more money than you do, or they already are better looking than you do, or they already have a, you know, a, a better uh, this or a better that or a nicer car or all the rest of it. 
you know, he, he's already got more, they don't need more, maybe they should have less, it would be fairer if they had less. So this kind of feeling can come up as well. Another thing that can come up is um, difficulty in uh, doing mudita practice in regard to some people is basic ill will. You, you basically experience unpleasant vedna in relationship to somebody you basically don't like them or approve of them. So it's hard for you to even feel any kind of baseline metta towards them, let alone mudita. So you basically don't want them to be happy, let alone for their happiness to continue. So maybe you don't wish them any harm or want them to suffer, but them being happy, that's like a whole other level of, you know practice in relationship to somebody where there's a lot of difficulty. And then of course there's the the leveling impulse. You ever hear the story of the the crabs in the bucket? You familiar with that? I guess the New England story I guess we have a lot of crabs and a lot of buckets. So the, the basic idea is You have crabs which have been captured that are in a bucket. And the bucket, the height of the bucket is such that a crab could conceivably use its claw and, you know, reach up, grab the top of the bucket and pull itself up and get out. But there's something about that that really bothers the other crabs because they see one of those crabs start to escape and they pull it back down. Crab in the bucket. (laughs) So that's where the energy that could go towards developing the conditions for our own happiness instead goes towards undercutting others. So then there's the envy, which is a kind of zero-sum thinking where you can't, you just can't stand to see somebody else get ahead of it. So I had a classic experience of this when I was a kid. When I was, oh, maybe seven, six, seven. And um, I wanted a bike, I wanted a bike, I wanted a bike. And so my dad got me a bike. And it was a blue bike. And it was bigger than I actually needed because I think he was trying to save money for later. So it was kind of oversized for the size I was. And it had streamers. And it was three-speed. So this was very exciting, very exciting. And I can remember getting on the bike. And I was still you know, figuring out how to really ride it well, but I could ride it. And riding down the back alley behind the house where we lived, which was kind of like this dirt road, and I was riding riding it down the road for like the first or second time I ever had it out. And some kid by the side of the road uh, picked up a stick, and he stuck it right in the wheel. <laughs> and the whole thing flipped, of course, and, you know... It was broke, you know, the wheel was broken and I was very upset and I can remember pushing it home crying. And it was like a classic, 
envy thing, right? Jealousy, envy thing. It's like this boy who probably who didn't have a bike saw this kid with this new shiny bike and did the deed, right? Like, right? So this is part of our human nature. Sometimes mudita can be uh, hard for us when we're um, tuned out. We're just tuned out. You know, if, if you were asked, you know, who could you practice mudita for, you might say, well, I don't really know anybody who's happy. But I think that's usually because you would be thinking of this as being something that's too big or too too global or too unconditional, you know, something that's like a lit up in lights kind of experience of happiness. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be simple things of the type that I've described. So, you know, some of the things that, that you could use in order to practice mudita in relationship to somebody might be something like the relative health of body uh, and or mind, right? Somebody's okay health, mentally, physically okay. Maybe somebody has some professional success or uh, acknowledgement. Somebody perhaps has ease of well-being where their life is set up so they don't have to scramble too much in, in order to be able to have a place to live and food and all the rest of that. Or maybe they have positive or skillful or wholesome aspects of their personality. Like maybe they're just a really kind person and that kindness is visible. That's something that you could be happy about for them. Maybe you've seen them overcome some kind of difficulty. Right? Somebody who's struggled with something Maybe they're in uh, recovery from drugs or alcohol and they're really working the program hard and they, they've managed to, to uh, maintain sobriety for a period of time. That would be an occasion for mudita. Maybe you recognize that they've got some trustworthy uh, friends or uh, supportive colleagues. That would be an occasion where you could practice mudita in relationship to them. Do you ever notice, for instance, in the the World Cup uh, coverage, at least here in the States, one of the things that I noticed was that there was a lot of what's called backstory covering coverage of this, meaning of course, there's the coverage of the games themselves, but then there's the, uh, the media would have coverage of individual players or maybe the coach and, you know, or maybe there was coverage of Brazil and the people in the streets in Brazil and how they were thinking about the game and, you know, how much excitement there was in the street and how much, you know, national pride there was in hosting the games and all the rest of it. You know, all of that kind of coverage is designed to help connect us to 
on a personal level, on a personal level, with what's actually going on around the game. So it's kind of bringing forward or highlighting certain aspects of that situation that allows us to connect more personally with what's going on there, with individual people or individual communities, or, right? So this is part of how we can actually connect with this mudita practice as well, where we're inclining our own minds to recognize on a personal kind of level, the happiness and well-being of other people. So there's another aspect of this practice of mudita too that's important to touch upon, which is, like all of these other uh, parts of the practice of the Eightfold Path, this practice is practiced in a way that considers the totality of the path, right? Including sila. So I said earlier, this is the practice of recognizing the happiness, well-being, good fortune, etc., of individuals and then um, uh, being happy and cheering it on in our own minds. So the question may arise, well, what about situations where people are happy, but the things that they're happy about aren't so good? So the answer to that question is, if it's something that is unwholesome, right? something that's a violation of the precepts or is you know, clearly unskillful, non-dharmic, destructive, something like that, that's obviously not a situation where that's appropriate for mudita practice. So uh, may you continue to avoid paying child support? Okay, that's not appropriate. May you continue to enjoy the profits of destroying the earth. Okay, that's not appropriate. May you continue to increase your compensation by dropping your employee's health insurance. It is not appropriate. So, but, but an important thing is, you know, even for those particular individuals, there would be an opportunity to practice mudita for them if you're aware of something that's a source of happiness and well-being for them, which is wholesome, or at least morally neutral, right? So that the, these people might be in your difficult person category, but you could still practice with them. You just have to find something that you could uh, approve of. So what would that be? Well, it might be something like, uh, you know, maybe they have a... a good family life, or maybe they have good health. Something like that, right? That you could approve of, that you could wish uh, to continue for them. So if you were going to practice mudita in an organized way, 
with this practice as with the other Brahma Viharas, there's a sequence that you would typically use. So the first person would be somebody that you care about, who has a source of happiness that you can identify easily. So Buddhaghosa, the great compiler of uh, meditation uh, technique and perspective, says this should be an affectionate friend who laughs first and speaks afterwards. That would be your ideal first person, right? Which is another way of saying somebody who's a joy spreader type of person. So if you know St. Francis, he would probably be a good one. Somebody like that. So you would start with somebody like that or the closest that you have to that. And then you would go to, your next person would be a benefactor. After that would be a neutral person, then a difficult person, and then all beings. So this, as I said, is a a really beautiful practice, a very uplifting uh, practice and opening practice and a way of joining with others of breaking our own sense of isolation and breaking the sense that we don't participate in the good things that happen in the world. If the mind can find its way into wise relationship with this particular quality of mind, it really offers the opportunity for you to join in a connective and connected way with beings that you would otherwise feel you have nothing in common with. So in a sense, you actually wind up being able to borrow from their happiness and well-being and to brighten and open your own mind in the recognition that, yeah, there is happiness in the world. So, you know, if your mind has a tendency towards depression or towards uh, embittered comparison with others, Envy, jealousy. So now we've named probably 95% of humanity here. But So if, if the mind has those kinds of tendencies, this can be re- a really powerful, powerful practice for, for you to do. And if you combine it with some of the other uh, supporting practices that I talked about earlier, the practice of uh, generosity and gratitude and reflection on your own wholesome qualities and your own wholesome deeds, you're really opening up a pathway into a much more buoyant, uh, radiant relationship with others. This particular quality is undertaught and underpracticed. So, uh, My wish for you is that you find the pathway to open this quality for your happiness and enjoyment and for your well-being and for the ripening of skillful qualities of heart and mind. 
and because it makes you more fun to be around. (laughs) So let's just sit for a second. May the merit of our practice be a cause and condition of our own awakening and for that of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.